For September 27th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 117, The Shark to Podcast. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast, from the bleeding edge of America, kicking off year three of the Overthinking It podcast, I am Matthew Rather, joined by a, uh, this is a three-hander tonight. I always I always thought that was weird about plays when they call something a two-hander because it, meaning a two-character play because people have two hands. So a two-character play would actually be a four-hander unless one of them has had uh, his hand amputated. Uh, maybe that's a plot point in the play, you know, that the, the guy only has one hand, in which case it would be a three-hander. Um, so depending on the number of amputations, this, I suppose, could be a zero-through-six-hander uh, tonight – but it's uh, it's three of us. This is the 106th consecutive weekly podcast. I th- we started doing it weekly, and we have released something every week since episode uh, 13. I think 13 is the Mint Milano's episode. Someone can check that in the in the background while I riff here. Um, so we are kicking off year three of overthinking it, and. Nobody wrote in with suggestions uh, for what we should do in our third year. I guess there were some. There were some in the comments in the show notes of the last post. But uh, I'll just take that to mean that we're doing everything perfectly, and we'll keep on with our uh, <laughs> with our regularly scheduled overthinking it. All right, question of the week because we all watched Shark to put. Well, not all of us. Two two out of three, four out of the six hands on this <laughs> podcast were occupied <laughs> with tweeting about Shark to Puss. Well. <laughs> While watching uh-huh. it this weekend, and finally, finally, the sharktopus has landed on the shores of Puerto Vallarta, and yeah. we uh, we um, we here commemorated on this podcast with this question of the week: If you could genetically cross yourself with one animal, one non-primate <laughs> animal, what animal would you choose to absorb its uh, its awesome powers? Uh, first in the alphabet, because all is right in the world, it is Peter Fenzel from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Pete. Welcome Woo! to the third year of the Overthinking It podcast. Oh man, this is, uh, means I'm a junior now, right? It's uh, <laughs> means people are going to start people are going to start respecting me around here. Exactly. It's, I'm not you're a frosh or a only sophomore. You're an upperclassman. <laughs> Exactly. Now I'm overthinking an upperclassman. Make sure that somebody uh, gets me my letter jacket and carries my books. Oh, wait, no, I carry someone else's books? I don't even know how that works. Yeah, you, you, get, uh, to get, yeah, you get to carry a girl's books, and she wears your class ring on a chain around her Oh, neck. why would – okay, fair enough. So, But not on her hand because it would be the wrong size presumably unless like we were roughly the same size in terms of – which is possible. Yeah, that would be awesome. In fact. <laughs> I would actually, right. I would actually like a girl, uh, a girlfriend with whom I could Greco-Roman wrestle or something, <laughs> and not in a sexual way. Get your mind no, out of the gutter. No, of course gutter. not. Just for the sake of training, because it's important to be able to prepare on your own time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so in the interest, I mean, of course, the first thing you got to think about is like, what is the portmanteau going to be, right? <laughs> so so if I were like an octopus, I would be fenstopus, right? Which is okay, it's not that great. So like the first animal I thought of, not really thinking about portmanteau, was like a killer whale because killer whales are awesome, and I love killer whales. Um, and I and I and I wanted to be like a, a, a but forca doesn't really like like porter forca. <laughs> 
Porca Fran Porca Forca Forca. No, it doesn't really it's like I'm a Swedish chef. It doesn't really work out very well. Um so I thought although it's not nearly as exciting, maybe like an ocelot, like a fenzalot, but then that just sounds like I'm a, an eighties rapper. Um Sir Fenzalot. Sir Fenzalot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tag team back again. So let's begin. Um uh, so maybe, you know what, I might go back. I always loved the sort of medium-sized whales. I felt like they lived great lives. Maybe it's just because I was uh, influenced a lot by Rafi when I was a kid. But I always thought that it was cool to like not be like a little dolphin and not to be like a giant whale, but to be like a medium-sized like, uh, or like a, a large um, uh, toothed whale, right, or, or like a small baleen whale. So maybe I'd be a Fenzaluga. A Fenzaluga whale. And, and I just, I'd have like a big old, like, I'd have a big old oil sack on my forehead that covered my enormous brain. And I'd just like drift effortlessly. I'd be in the deep blue sea. Fen, yeah, baby Fenzaluga in the deep blue sea. It swims so wild and you swim so free. Either that or a narwhal so I could poke things. But I think that Fenzaluga would be more fun. So, um, there you go. That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Boom. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I the, want to put, put the hashtag sharktopus after like all sentences that I say now because I was doing it last, <laughs> last time. Sharktopus. Hey, how are you? How, yeah, how are you doing, pound sharktopus? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, coming in from the yuppie infested uh, uh, neighborhood of Park Slope in Brooklyn, New York, it is Mark Lee. Hello, hello. So first... Uh, on the subject of the start of the third year of the Overthinking It podcast, I want to say that I was really looking forward to getting out of my two-year contract with the Overthinking It <laughs> podcast, but somebody gave me a brand new copy of Paradise Lost uh, for signing another two-year contract, so I guess I'm stuck with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's the, the service Norton, is terrible. It's the, Norton, <laughs> it's the Norton Critical Edition, Mark. It has uh, great essays in the back. If you just go, you know, flip past the poem. Is that the unsurpassed and unsurpassable edition of the unsurpassed and unsurpassable uh, work of uh, literature in any language? I don't know. That's the Longman, I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're talking uh-huh. about uh, animals that we would cross ourselves with. Uh, it's pretty obvious. It'd be the electric eel. Obviously, you know, for its shock value. Burn with so I can really, I, so I can really bring the phrase "Don't taste me, bro" back into the popular culture. <laughs> but more importantly, because of the portmanteau, it really uh, writes itself. I would become the electric leel. Get it? <laughs> leel. Ah! Zap! <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Um, okay, so all I could think of for this was flying squirrel. I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> I would really like uh, sort of fleshy, um, what, uh, kind of webbing. What is it? It's like webbing. Like a membrane? membrane Yeah, a membrane, like a fleshy membrane that stretched from my wrist to my waist and then sort of between my legs as well, right? That's where they... That's where they are. Or, you know, even from my wrist to my ankles, so that it was like wearing one of those wingsuits, those nylon wingsuits that people can, <laughs> but like made out of skin. I, I just yeah. think that, and, and you could base jump without a parachute, and I think that would be so cool. What's your, what's your portmanteau-wise name? Well, I, you know, I don't know, like the, the, the Matthew Rath flying squirrel. <laughs> it's terrible. It's um. What are what are they called? I mean, what's the proper scientific name for a flying squirrel? 
That's a really good question. I, sh- I, I should think have been... while we ponder this question, <laughs> uh, we should really ask ourselves, like, what do words really mean? You know, because like when we looked up the the Latin name for a flying squirrel, like we can learn a lot of things. Uh, and oh, it's family skirudi crud. I thought that I was going to stall long enough to be able to say it, but it turns out that it's well nigh impronounceable. Skiri ski. It's okay. They're scientifically known as teromini, teromini, or or petauristini, uh, and they're of the family Skiuridae, or Skiuridae, Sharktopus, family Sharktopus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is they- kind of cool that they're teromyony, because it's like they're mini, but they're also taro, like a P. So there you go. <laughs> So yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you're getting any help from Wikipedia on this one, unfortunately. That's okay. Um, I can I can amuse myself with the fleshy membrane that that stretches from my wrist to my ankles. I I don't need uh, your fancy words anymore. I can base jump without a parachute. I, I feel like the three of us would make a pretty awesome kind of manimal crime fighting team, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, uh, like shooting electricity at people, like rather flying in over the tops of them and grabbing stuff, and then I could just sort of like swim around. <laughs> Uh, and be kind of meditative. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a Saturday morning cartoon of us. Exactly. Over thanimals. <laughs> um, do you, uh, well, let's, let's launch into, uh, let's launch into the, uh, Shark to Podcast. Uh, right. I've been I've been looking forward <laughs> to this for several um, several months. Uh, so, so can I jump in with a question here? Because I'm the only one who hasn't seen it because I don't okay. have because I don't have cable because I'm sick and tired of giving my money to the evil entity known as Time Warner Cable. Uh, mm. Crap! Now that I said that, they're going to shut me off. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so really, did it live up to your expectations? I feel like we had a lot of high expectations, uh, very high expectations going into this. Were you? Uh, satisfied well here's the thing um (laughs) i really like things that are bad uh, (laughs) and that that kind of revel in their badness uh you'll notice that on this very website we also host a podcast uh hosted by myself and and ryan (laughs) sheely about the television show gossip girl so Mm. you know i i think that that you cannot underestimate uh my taste so, um, uh, but there, there's a, there's a kind of glee with things that are, are sort of, uh, fantastically vulgar. And, and, um, I, I count in this movies like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or things like this, things that take the cliches and really sort of, uh, just do them for all their freaking worth. And, and Sharktopus was not a so bad it's good creature movie, um, it was a so bad it's bad it's good creature movie, right? What does that mean? It's well, so bad it's bad it's good. Yeah, I don't know. It's Unpack so bad. That, it's will. so bad that it's so bad that it's that it's good. It actually was a very cheaply made, very poorly acted. You know, the acting did not. <laughs> you know, the acting did not um, use its consummate skill to portray bad acting. It was actually bad acting. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll say that the two lead characters were really bad. Um, like the guy and the girl who like supposedly couldn't get along. Yeah, the love and the were, love interest. The, the, yeah, uh, like the love plot from Sh- the love theme from Sharktopus, right. which was the same as like the Sharktopus chasing music, which was this like <laughs> midi, like this, this ominous like 
like MIDI theme. They didn't play fun music for the uh, for the lovers. No, there, <laughs> there, there was one fun song at the beginning over the titles. Uh, there were lots of fun songs. I loved all the songs they played whenever they walked into like a tropical bar. I'd be like, it's like there wasn't a power ballad in this. No, no, it was all. It was all. Oh, no, no, there was a song. There was a fun song that was played over the credits. That's right, and it was like sort of a '60s oh, really? influenced kind of post go go piece. And baby, like, uh, if I could, I would wrap my tentacles around <laughs> you. No, it was like shark the pussy's shark the pussy's gonna. And it turns out that it was the daughter of like the brother of the director <laughs> has like a band in Rochester. Uh, I read about this. I read a bunch. I did a bunch of research because I'm excited for the shark to podcast. <laughs> And so I read a Q&A that the director and Eric Roberts did with a bunch of online press. And he talked about how it was like his brother. It was like his niece. Like he called his brother as a band and was like, hey, I need somebody to do this like pop single for this, uh, this movie that I'm doing. And, and he's like, oh, me? I'll do it. And he's like, oh, no, no. I want your daughter to do it. You're too old. <laughs> so he needs to do this like very fun and funky thing. Um, Sharktopus. Sharktopus does whatever a shark and an octopus can. Can we can we play the Sharktopus theme like on the podcast? Is that something we have the technology to do if we found it online? I, I haven't uh, uh, I I kind of haven't set up for that tonight. We could do it the same uh, way we do we do voicemails, but uh Alright, well whatever. If you want to, put it here. Yeah, no, all right, not so much. <laughs> okay. So at any rate, um, so yeah, it's for it's called what is it called? Cheetah, the Cheetah Whores is what the band is called. They play the Shark to a Steam song. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so okay, I mean, are you done with your appraisal? I don't want to like stomp on it because if no, there's I, more appraisal, I, 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 only to say that despite all that, I I quite enjoyed Shark to Puss. I thought it was uh, great fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, I'll say this: Shark to Puss is is, main, is it's episodic. Like Shark to Puss is not an overarching story about uh, the Blue Water Corporation, which is a military contractor that's like Blackwater but in the ocean. Uh, the Blue Water <laughs> Corporation, which designs this uh, super killing machine uh, shark octopus hybrid called S Eleven, that is only dubbed Shark to Puss by the press later after uh, they recognized its killing spree. And and Eric Roberts is like the mad genius who's like designed this ultimate killing machine the movie isn't really about like the arc of the the arctopus or the 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 arc of shark <laughs> uh, like like this is sort of it's sort of like scenes inspired by shark like it's it's like it's like uh, the movie is a series of short vignettes uh tied together by kind of an overarching plot such that it might be presented at some sort of outdoor theater festival where, where it's like it's like oh we're setting up these main characters now they're going to go chill out for 20 minutes and we're going to do like a series of short scenes about like somebody at the beach doing something and oh no, they got eaten by shark octopus, and it's like bop 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 punchline. So, like um, one of the you know what one this of reminds the- me of this reminds me a little bit of a crazy taxi fan fiction. It's <laughs> an elaborate setup of you know something like you know a, a mother and daughter at the supermarket, and they're arguing over such and such and such, and then crazy taxi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're pulling it- out of their driveway very slowly to go buy some ice cream at the grocery <laughs> store, and they get blindsided by. Uh, 
by B.D. Joe. <laughs> he was like, yeah. Crazy Taxi! Um, and, and, of course, Crazy Taxi fans on the podcast will know who B.D. Joe is, but other people, you don't really need to know who B.D. Joe is. <laughs> he's, he's an uh, American hero, I think, is the answer. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Um, but, I mean, I thought the most enjoyable part of Sharktopus were those scenes where, like, one of my, one of my favorite ones was the one where there's a very improbably fit and attractive woman in a bikini with a metal detector on the beach, right? And she's looking with the metal detector, like, oh, what am I going to find with this metal detector that I use as my hobby um, in between doing sit-ups, which is apparently the only other thing that I do, if you look at my stomach right now, because um, of her ridiculous 300-quality abs. Um, and she finds a something in the sand. She digs out. It's a gold doubloon. And there's this like old man with a fisherman's hat who's been like sort of following her, watching her. Kind of sad, kind of lonely. Um, and so she she gets the gold doubloon, and she's like so excited and so happy. And then like Sharktopus comes out of the water and like grabs her, their t- tentacles, and pulls her into the water and eats her. And uh, and she's like, oh no! And they have that yeah, shot he- of like. If Sharktopus <laughs> teaches us anything, it's that uh, it's that with great happiness comes great Sharktopus. <laughs> yeah. And then, like the old man, like looks at it and then like bends down and picks up the gold doubloon and like bites it and is like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I, you know, I thought he was going to get his comeuppance later in the movie, but no, no, that would uh, be the other. <laughs> like the other one was the the couple, right? Where the guy was like, "Hey, we should go parasailing," and the girl was like, "I thought we came on this vacation so we could do something we both like." And this is really—I don't want to do all this extreme sports stuff that you're making me do. And she's like, "Oh, well, we'll go bungee jumping instead." And he's like, "She's like, oh, okay." And then they go bungee jumping, and she goes bungee jumping, and she enjoys it. And then she, she's like, "Can I go again?" And they say, "Sure." And she descends on the bungee cord, and like just as the bungee cord reaches full extension, like as as if involved in some sort of carnival game, like Sharktopus leaps out of the water and like grabs the woman off of the bungee cord and eats her. Um, and it's like, well, really, the guy should have been the one who was punished because he was the villain in that in that vignette right like because she was trying to be reasonable and come up with a compromise about what they wanted to do and he was like making her bungee jump so he sort of forced her to shark to puss herself uh and that's just kind of unfortunate <laughs> yeah, but, Peter, but like you see you're ascribing you're ascribing sort of uh some sort of normative uh you know force to the shark to puss like only the bad people get shark to puss but the you know well, yeah, yeah, yeah. the shark to puss is an impersonal force of nature you know that never uh <laughs> that never asks why you know? Well, I think that's one of the defining characteristics of this movie, though. I mean, think about what you just said. In so many of these horror movies and slasher movies and monster movies, like, the animal is an allegory, right, for, for some sort of normative force. Yeah. Like, in Godzilla, it's, like, about nuclear proliferation and, like, the risk of nuclear weapons, sure. right? And, like, a lot of these, and, and it, yeah, exactly. A lot, of, uh, a lot of these kind of creature movies, um, which, you know, I don't know, in, in their... What, they have their heritage to the kind of creature movies of the 50s, the sort of drive-in movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, like, yeah, the government has a secret lab that's making giant ants, but, like, right, yeah. 50 that's, societies and that's, talk about secrets. And, that's yeah. them, right? Or, yeah, I yeah. Mean, or there's sort of a political allegory like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is about communism, but... You know, uh, or more recently, sort of genetic engineering. That's why it's yeah. it's not a radioactive spider in Spider Man anymore, right? Disney isn't Tobey Maguire bit by a genetically engineered spider. And yeah, that, exactly. You, you know what I mean? So these are things kind of like uh, kind of like Terminator. Um, you know, these things kind of uh, uh, address our or they're they're kind of a through a glass darkly fearful vision of technology. What? Yeah, what? yeah Terminator? Yeah. I'm teasing something later what? in the podcast. Martin <laughs> on French television well, to talk about Terminator. But never mind. Uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, but the uh, 
you know, here it really is. There's um, it's I, I had a film teacher once who who was talking about a David Mamet movie and uh, called Heist. Uh, mm-hmm. Where a bunch of people. What steal was something. it about? Yeah, they yeah. steal something. Okay, good. <laughs> a bunch of people steal something. They cross and double cross each other, and yeah. uh, in the end, you know, one of them wins and the rest of them lose. Gene, in, right. in fact, spoiler alert: Gene Hackman r- wins, and uh, you know, Rebecca Pigeon and her uh, the the kind of slightly less savory character she's in league with, rather than the unsavory characters that are the heroes of the film. Um, uh, they lose. And uh, I, I, my film teacher and I were talking about it once, and he said, it's a movie with absolutely no metaphorical level at all. You know? Mm. Um, it's, just what it, it's just what it is, and, and that's it. And, and Sharktopus is the same way. It's just, it's just what it is. I mean, I guess that's sort of true, but at the same time, it is extremely self-conscious of what it is. Right, like, like there is a scene where Captain Jack, the pirate radio uh, broadcaster, who is played by the host from the Joe Schmo show, I forget what his name is, um, and I have the internet in front of me, but I'm going to keep this organic. And he's like talking with his bikini sidekick, right? And they're like in this boat that's broadcasting, and he's like making joke radio broadcasts about the sharktopus because he hears that the sharktopus is killing people. He doesn't believe that it's real, right? And he's like, oh, like, oh, like, what is a half shark, half octopus? Like, that's crazy. Like, if they made a movie about that would you watch it i bet you'd watch she's like yeah i'd watch he's like that's because you're easily amused is what he <laughs> says and that's really what shark is about it's about like the quality of being amused and, and it's it's like about like the fact that this amuses us right and so it's like um and, and i think like the whole thing about like the navy makes it so it's a kind of a killing machine but like really what shark i mean shark is made by the navy and it has a device on it that's supposed to control it Right, so it's supposed to have this device that control, and the navy's supposed to be able to sick it on things and then call it back, right? But unfortunately, in order, since sharks naturally are not particularly aggressive and are in fact like kind of quiet predators who only like go after prey when they have to, and then tend to recede into the shadows, um, Sharktopus naturally was not going to do what the Navy wanted. So instead, they genetically engineered Sharktopus to make it really, really angry and, like, and effed with its serotonin levels and stuff, so that Sharktopus gets like mindlessly aggressive. And like Eric Roberts is like really mad at the Navy for making him do this, but he did it anyway, because that's what they paid him to do. Uh, and he just yells for most of the movie, and he drinks heavily and like disappears for half of the film. <laughs> but he's like, he's drunk in the movie, and he's like, ah, you guys wanted a killing machine, and now you have a killing machine. And so, and Sharktopus's ultimate foiling, and I won't go into too much detail about it, involves uh, a fail-safe device that's in its brain. So there is a, a question around Sharktopus of the sort of the, the, the agency of the Sharktopus itself, right? Like, the Sharktopus is supposed to be controlled by us, but it turns out that the Sharktopus is controlled by Caprice. Like, the Sharktopus just does what it wants to do, um, which is, like, run around on the beach and kill people because its hormones are too strong. And then there's this other subtext in the movie that's actually called out on a number of occasions, which is, like, like this is fun. Like, we enjoy this, right? And, and so we're doing this movie because we have these urges to do these things and they're nonsensical there is one character in the movie once who steps up forward and he says and he's the mexican guy with the tattoos who can't speak very english very well so it's unfortunate he's in the movie but but he speaks like he's the sidekick to the investigative reporter with the cleavage uh, and he speaks up and he's like that guy well, so it was it, the 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 b minus c plus cleavage i got you know i got it oh say, yeah i mean she i mean she was like she like puts on the tank top and she's like hey look at these but it's like they're not 
there's nothing that special. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it's, it was kind of like she. Yeah, she was all uh, quit staring at my boobs, Captain Jack. Captain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Captain Jack, by the way, played by Ralph Garman. Ralph Garman, who's who's wonderful and looks like he gained a little bit of weight for this movie and then lost it again because he's in some of the promo bumps, which I want to talk about, like the bumps to commercial and stuff. Yeah, uh, the end bumps and out bumps. But but this me- the Mexican guy says to the investigative reporter, like they had had this third person who's hanging out with them, who's like had seen the shark and was a fisherman, and they were using him to track the shark and he gets eaten by the shark And the Mexican guy's like, like, why are you not bothered by this? Like that guy was eaten like three inches away from you, and like he's a pretty cool guy. I mean, he was kind of smelly, but like he was a cool guy, and like you should be bothered like it should be it should really bother you that all these humans are being eaten by this monster but instead like you're going about your business as if this isn't a big deal trying to get the story right of course that character is eaten by a shark but um but it's it's like um there's definitely this idea of like and it's it's not a daunting approach to it it's not an indicting approach to it it's not like oh look at our moral look at the moral wasteland that we all traverse you know it's like like this is we do things for caprice for capricious reasons right and like there are things that we just sort of want and things that we find fun and like and sharktopus when it's about anything is about that so it's uh, the different vignettes are like people doing leisure activities at the beach and then the sharktopus eats them it's like we're playing football like we're doing yoga we're bungee jumping and and then the shark just eats them um, and then the actual plot which is like the iraq veteran and eric roberts daughter is totally waste of everybody's time and is awful um and and every minute that they're on screen is is just annoying and i'm glad that that uh, they weren't on more of the in more of the movie but the real like fun of that movie was in like the sort of we're at the beach having fun and being eaten by a monster is one of the things that you do at the beach to have fun which is kind of <laughs> which is like a really like sort of kooky postmodern way of looking at the construct of the beach and like what is a beach right um like what is puerto vallarta in like the the uh, vocabulary of, of film, right? Um, like place, what is the- yeah, it's a place to get eaten by a genetically engineered monster. That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is because yeah. it's like a bunch of bars where nothing happens. So it's like <laughs> like you can go there and try to have a love affair, but like it's not going to be particularly serious. No, no, no. And also, <laughs> and, and also, your table at the bar is dangerously close to the water. <laughs> exactly. You know? And I just. And a tentacle with a, uh, you know, with a kind of stabbing, a natural stabbing implement on the end of the tentacle yeah. is going to kind of reach out of the water and get you. I mean, I think you're right to call this this. Um, uh, you're you're right to call this movie uh, an episodic, an episodic yeah. destruction movie because it do- it doesn't have the um, at even a gesture at something like pacing. You know, no. <laughs> I, I, su- I suppose, or or like even an arc. I mean, you're you're the arc of the Sharktopus. Like, okay, but the Sharktopus pretty much like very early on. This is a movie that's on yeah. cruise control, right? They 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 speed up to about you know seventy two miles an hour, right? They uh, stick the cruise control on, and then they go go go, and that and that's it. Yeah, like it's not a um, you know in Jaws. Uh, Steven Spielberg fa- famously said he would only direct Jaws if he didn't have to show the shark for the first hour of the movie. And uh, within, yeah. the, I think, the first thirty seconds of the movie, we see the shark to place <laughs> in all its glory. <laughs> not even like, not yeah. even like we see a, a solitary tentacle. Uh, you know, yeah. what I mean, doing something ominous, or we see the the fin. Um, we see the fin and we see the tentacle, but then we see the whole damn sharktopus. You know, well, it's great how they introduce the sharktopus because this girl is swimming and then she's going to get eaten by a shark, and then the sharktopus picks the shark up out of the water with its tentacles and leaps up out of the water and eats the shark, right? Like rips it apart, right? So it's like because there's this great line where she's like, "I'm going to go swimming," and their friend is like, "Be careful, there's fish out there." She's in the yeah. ocean. It's there's like fish ew. out there. 
the, the friend is on her Blackberry on, on Santa Monica Beach, actually, where I grew up, not on the beach, but in the city of Santa Monica, uh, yeah. born and born and born and raised, born in St. John's Hospital, Santa Monica, California. So, uh, you know, uh, the Sharktopus and I are practically neighbors. I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, annoying, uh, annoying best friend is, is, you know, texting on the Black, Blackberry uh, on the beach and like, I don't want to go swimming. There's fish in there. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, so she's about to get eaten by a shark, and then like in the first like minute and a half of the movie, they like reveal the shark as like bigger than a shark and kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, there's no suspense. Like there's never any suspense because like they make the shark able to walk on land, so, right? Because of this, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because if it's there's got to be other animals in there that aren't reflected in the portmanteau that make it capable of roaring and breathing air and like walking around on land. Um, and it's also bulletproof, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Like people are firing machine guns at it from like five feet away and it's not doing anything. And the shark is not very large. Like it's like maybe the size of a minivan, right? Like, like it has long tentacles, but like the actual body of the shark is fairly small, which makes you wonder what it does with the bodies of all like the 50 people that it eats over the course of the movie. Um, the joke I made on Twitter was that it must be pooping constantly, just like this movie is. Sing. Uh, sing. <laughs> hey, so we're, we're yeah, zap. As, we're talking as about Leal would say. As Leal would say, yes, exactly. Um, I'm so honored that the, that animal now has has taken has become a part of our parlance. Um, anyway, we talked a lot about the badness of this movie, right? It's not. It doesn't take this badness doesn't take place in a vacuum, though, right? I mean, it comes from the Roger Corman school of B movies, right? It's just oh a, yeah, it's a Robert Corman production. He didn't direct, yeah. it, but I believe he produced it, right? He did direct it. Yeah, no, he oh. produced it. Right. So yeah. maybe, maybe you guys are more familiar with Roger Corman. Kind of tease that out a little bit and sort of set the, the stage upon which the Sharktopus has come to us. Well, well I know that... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, Roger Corman is a, is a film producer who has produced a lot of movies like this, a lot of sort of very sensational, lurid, uh, kind of high-concept movies, where by high-concept I mean, well, Sharktopus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, can you explain what high-concept means? I don't I, know if a lot of the audience know what high-concept maybe, means. Maybe, yeah. Let me unpack this, as we say on the okay, TFT please. podcast. Um, uh, high-concept refers to a... a um, a movie that that kind of uh, is is susceptible to description in a short punchy phrase or two you know um, there was a there was a Disney movie where there was a movie that got set up as, at Disney a while ago called Meg that I, I don't know if it ever got made or if it went straight to video or whether it's a Dis, Disney Channel movie or something like that it was sold from a treatment anyway um, it was about a uh, a prehistoric shark uh, whose DNA got you know uh, Sort of re, I don't know, recloned into a, a shark DNA or something like that. And the the logline was Jurassic Shark, you know. And that's your classic yeah. high concept movie where it's, um, you know, it's a it's an idea, uh, really that sells the movie rather rather than a, a narrative or a character hook, right? So yeah, like yeah, yeah. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Was it, high, be an high, yeah, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, high concept, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. Um, so so uh, Roger Corman over the years has made hundreds of these uh, primarily low budget, uh, primarily high concept uh, movies, many of them kind of creature features like Sharktopus. And um, has also, he's been kind of a proving ground for a lot of people who, who have gone on to do some pretty amazing things in Hollywood. Uh, like James Cameron. <clears throat> Francis Terminator. Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, just the, you know, look at his Wikipedia page if you want to... Uh, 
um, you know, to know all of them. But, uh, you know, he's he's employed a lot of A-list people when they were, um, you know, kids cutting their teeth. Yeah. I know, and I know. And I read in the interview with uh, Eric Roberts that I read uh, related to Sharktopus. He talked about how the reason he did this movie was because he'd never worked with a, on a Roger Corman production before. And like, yeah, they didn't pay him. Like, they didn't pay him enough. Like, he doesn't. Hey, they he didn't even go to the IMDb page. They didn't even give yeah. his character a name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's yeah. not even like Mad Scientist. It's it's zit, zilch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of crazy. So yeah, so he's like, but I wanted to do it. You don't work for Roger Corman for money, right? Like, you don't, that's not why you do it. Um, you do it just to be part of something. So it's a phenomenon. It's like a, it's a cultural space. So, so he's definitely, now it's funny because it turns out that when Shark was ended, like when the movie was over, there was no like the end or, or there might have been credits, but if they were, they were off in the corner. Like it, ju- it ended at like 11.05 and jumped directly into the opening scene of another movie, which was indistinguishable in many ways from Shark And it turned out that movie was Dino Croc versus Super Gator, um, <laughs> yeah, which is also a Roger Corman production. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, and, so and it was it, another it, was another movie. Actually, I watched the first thirty seconds of it. It was another movie that that pushed the throttle all the way to full, <laughs> you know, and then just kind of they just kind of left. David Carradine is like the evil scientist in that one. I yeah. know. I I felt like that was a little sad because you know I yeah. miss David Carradine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, so yeah, and I think one of the one of the funny things there are a lot of funny things that were said on the on the interview that I read with Eric Roberts. One of the things he's he talked a lot about heroes. Or he looked for a little bit about Heroes, because he was on Heroes at one point. And he's like, yeah, you know, they hired me to be on Heroes because they wanted to beat this other show in the ratings. So I went on Heroes, and they beat this other show in the ratings. Like, great. You know, that's what I get paid to do. Um, but it was so boring working on that show. Like, they had nothing for me to do. The writing was terrible. <laughs> and he's just, like, like bad-mouthing them like crazy. You know, it's like, I kept trying to come up with ideas. and be like, hey, we could do this, we could do this. But it was just so boring. Um, so Eric Roberts did not like working on Heroes at all. And I mean, I only watched the first season of Heroes before I became bored of it. The first season finale of Heroes was so disappointing after the huge, huge buildup of this big superhero fight. And then like nothing happens. Um, but yeah, but like apparently that was one of his things. And he, he talked about how also he did a love scene for Sharktopus, but uh, they had to cut it. Uh, because oh. because it was too uh, it was too graphic for television, <laughs> and uh, Eric Roberts was upset because he like worked out a lot to try to get in shape so he could do the love scene, <laughs> and so he like worked out a lot for Shark to Puss, and then they didn't show the scene, so it's going to be on like they they were joking it's going to be on the director's cut and like the special features of the DVD if you want to buy that you can watch a special deleted scene of Eric Roberts having sex with some lady, and there was no female character in that movie that would conceivably have sex with Eric Roberts, so you know it's just some like. Random person. It's just, fantastic. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like I want to love scene. Uh, I'm angry. I'm very proud. Hey, speaking of sex and Sharktopus, here's a question I have for you guys. Okay. Uh, is the Sharktopus supposed to be both Yonic and Phallic at the same time? Is that what's going on? You said the stabby tentacles and then obviously the gaping maw of the shark jaw. Both of these going on. What's going on with that? Yeah, actually, the shark puts represents a a kind of fusion of gender identities, and mm. you know, as such, is 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 an extremely progressive cinematic statement about you know queer studies and uh, identity <laughs> politics. <laughs> <laughs> that um, you know, you know that that I'm sure will be um, uh, studied in university cultural studies departments for generations to come. Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the interesting things about the to actually not be as sarcastic as Matt was saying. I'm not being sarcastic. Um, I actually do oh, no. believe that cultural studies departments will 
<laughs> watch and comment on this movie. So that that I yeah. guess you know uh, says more about my opinion of of cultural studies as an <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So like the Sharktopus's design is actually pretty balanced. Like there aren't there there isn't. There aren't too many scenes where only part of the sharktopus is revealed. I mean, yeah, there's scenes where the tentacle comes out, and the tentacles can roll around people and strangle them or stab them sometimes. The bl- and there's and most of the sharktopus kills end with like a scene underwater where you sort of see the teeth and you sort of see the blood, but it's mostly just like or you sort of see the bite, but it's mostly just blood and water, right? So there's definitely this like you know this like this like periodic bleeding that happens with Sharktopus, where, like, every every five minutes, Sharktopus has this time of movie. And, yeah, but, no, um, you're not being sarcastic at all. No, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, like, I mean, I don't... I, I will say that I think Sharktopus is more phallic than Yannick, uh, because right. I think that they... the Sharktopus's head is, like, very sort of dominating. It's basically... Sharktopus is like a, a squid, but instead of, like, the pointy part of the squid on top, it has a shark head. Right, so he has a mouth, but like the mouth kind of opens a little bit in the front. It's not like one of those shark mouths that sort of opens underneath, really. Um, and it's not like things go into its maw all that much because they because that's not as much fun. Like they they get kind of like sliced and diced by the tentacles and teeth, and there's lots of blood splattering all over the place. Like sure. even on the camera. Oh yeah, scenes, we have is- to actually. That's that's the thing we should talk about. That's that's the thing about sharktopus that I thought was most distinctive in terms of you know film art, not to. Not to go from the ridiculous to the sublime here, but um, this is overthinking it after all. Yeah. There are, there are, uh, there's more than one occasion where there is either blood splatter or water splatter on the camera lens, on the plane yeah. that would be the, you know, either the lens or the kind of glass protection of the camera in the, in the underwater or sort of um, surface of the water shots. And this is, you know, this is a Brechtian device. Right. This is yeah. a, a device that alienates you, which is to say makes you conscious that you're watching a film, uh, that yeah. you're watching an artifact, a created thing, um, you know, rather than a uh, rather than sort of suspending your disbelief and really kind of being involved in the film in an emotional way uh, or yeah. kind of letting your letting your knowledge that you're watching a film kind of dissipate and, and becoming involved with the characters. This is, uh, you know, this is the function of this with all the self-referentiality of this movie, as though you needed that but um it's very it's you know it's very very interesting because it um it alienates you and also you know now that we have everyone has these kind of flat panel televisions it's almost as though blood were being splattered um on the the inside surface of your television so i think it it implicates the viewer in an interesting way with guilt uh, for the carnage that you are enjoying as a spectator, you know, yeah. um, it, it, it says something about, about the voyeurism of, uh, of watching a, you know, gory kind of, um, uh, grindhouse esque movie, you know, where, where, uh, you're really enjoying the carnage, um, by actually also in glorious bastards, 2009, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. sure. Yeah, sure. A little bit. Okay. I buy that too. But like, um, uh, I, but I don't know. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is too gleeful about the carnage himself to, mm. you know, to to really. Um, I, I would say that it's I, if it's guilty at all, there's a kind of sharing of the guilt that's like, hey guys, this is awesome, isn't it? Uh, that goes in a movie like Inglorious Bastards or Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs or you know I don't know True Romance or what have you. Um, 
But in, in, in Sharktopus, you know, it's really like it, you, you feel like the Roman populace, you know, this bloody spectacle mm-hmm. was staged for your amusement, you know, yeah. and now there's blood dripping down the inside of your television screen. And yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah. And it's funny because the biggest instance of that is with Eric Roberts himself, like spoilers. We right. should have said at the beginning that there are spoilers for Sharktopus in this, uh, <laughs> in this podcast. It's impossible to spoil um, Sharktopus because Sharktopus yeah. is exactly what you expect. Yeah, exactly. So there is a scene where Eric Roberts gets killed by the Sharktopus, and it's an extremely like gory, over-the-top death. And it's really the scene where you really notice that the blood gets like splattered on the camera. And, and there is definitely something there about the relationship between the viewer and this celebrity. This celebrity who is like somewhat reviled and like worthy of being reviled. Like one of the things Eric Roberts said about this movie is that he looks worse in this movie than in any other movie he's ever made. That like the director of photography decided to make him look awful, and he doesn't really know why. But I think we do know why, which is that he's in that movie to kind of be awful and to be this like sort of awful celebrity that we are like going to sacrifice at the end of the movie for our, <laughs> for our own satisfaction. It's like because he's so hammy and so angry and so mean and like he says so many mean things to his daughter for no reason and it's just like it's just this awful awful thing. Um, you know, he some, sometimes you stare into the sharktopus, and the sharktopus starts to stare into you. But um, you become what you despise. You chop off the sharktopus's head in the Dagobah cave, and you, you see your own face and a bunch of tentacles attached to it. Um, but no, like definitely the fact that it's Eric Roberts' death is non-trivial. Like because because it's like the big celebrity in the movie. And he's the one who gets killed, and he's the one that it's your fault that he gets killed. But it's also something I think the audience is kind of – a lot of it would be kind of – they'd be sympathetic to that because they don't conceive of him as a real person all right, in the same way. It's, it's hyper-reality, right? It's like he, he is this phenomenon. He's been in all these movies where he's been killed and stuff. And people who know who he is – he's in The Expendables, of course, as, which came out recently. And, yeah, this is and, one of the things I, I tweeted at, at Pete during the movie, which was, um, you know, uh, Expendables or Sharktopus, better Eric Roberts' performance. Yeah. I thought he was better in Sharktopus than sure. he was in The Expendables. Sure. Yeah, because The Expendables, it, he wasn't having any fun. Like, The Expendables, I enjoyed The Expendables, but, like, the, the enjoyment in, factor in The Expendables largely comes from the enjoyment of the protagonists and the heroes, right? It's not about the, the, t- the tension of them fighting the people that they need to fight. It's like watching these older heroes enjoy themselves as they get involved in these, like, tussles that, that supposedly they shouldn't be able to do anymore because they get too old, right? And it's, it's these, like, this sort of seeing them come back. And, and it's, it's about... Re- it's a reaffirmation masculine fantasy movie for older men who consider their masculinity kind of to be on the ebb. And it's about like a sort of rebirth. It's like a, it's a Theoden moment. I talked about that in uh, my up post, I believe, like the sort of Theoden moments where you decide to just sort of deny and postpone the idea of aging. It's like aging does these horrible things to us, but you're not old. Like you're young. Like find that youth within yourself. And this is while it's an encouraging and reaffirming kind of transcendent literary moment, like it's just question begging because eventually he's actually going to be old, right? And then like these things are going to happen to him. But for the moment, he's not, which is it's, – it's sort of a little bit Emerson, but it's like a little bit phoned in too. So sure. – um, yeah, and Theoden, of course, being the king and lord of the rings, who, because of, like, the sort of mystical impl- uh, influences of his corrupt advisor, becomes a sort of, like, doddering incompetent who can't do anything and is sort of stuck in his throne and is gray and old and impotent and, and, and I mean, I don't talk about his, his wanky thing, but, um, you know, it's like he's old and he's powerless and he's a bitter. And then Gandalf inspires him and breaks the curse and he, like, stands up and he's a man again and he's vigorous. Um, 
and, and I, th- I think that's what the Expendables is about. It's like a, it's about standing up and being vigorous again. And and Eric Roberts doesn't need to do that because Eric Roberts is vigorous. Like he's he's ridiculous. <laughs> like, like Eric, I don't need to see Eric Roberts recapture his previous glory. Like his previous glory never left. It never really depended upon him being physically able to do anything. He just has to grimace. And like Eric Roberts is like a Christopher Walken in training. He like doesn't need to actually be young like to do. No, what no, he does. he's he's like a journeyman Christopher Walken. If Christopher Walken is the master, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so yeah, and Al Pacino's like that too. Like, you get the sense that Al Pacino's going to be seventy-five, and he's still going to be like kicking ass. Is he not seventy-five so, yet? Probably. I don't know. I don't know. Actually. I'm going to Wikipedia him while we talk. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. His presence in the movie is is interesting, and it's also interesting. There's no other celebrities in the movie. It's interesting also that they make the death of the reporter a really big moment in Sharktopus. Like, like they try to make it a symmetrical moment of importance to the death of Eric Roberts, but the reporter has no role in the movie at all. Like, she just chases the Sharktopus around with a camera. Like, that's it. Yeah, there's and- no, nobody. Nobody in this movie has any agency except for the, I suppose, except for the ex Navy SEAL guy who, you know, who. Oh, uh, he's awful. He's so bad. He was like a bad actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, and like, his character makes no sense. Yeah, it's like you're the best there is, and he like he's useless for the no, entire. Yeah, yeah, movie. yeah. He can't he can't hit the shark to with a gun. Yeah, in like fact, from with an automatic back. with an automatic weapon. He can't yeah. with a fully automatic. You know, he from can't. he's like on the side of the boat eating his friends, and he can't shoot the freaking thing. Like the scene where they're scuba diving, and he has the harpoon gun, and like the shark was before they even see him eats two of the other the two of the other scuba divers, and like gashes his leg, and then runs away. Like it, it just shows how useless he is. And, and he's then, also you know, he comes out of the water, and the scientist talks about no these these were planned attacks by the shark which is <laughs> which is blatantly <laughs> false, right? Because the shark the has no plan. The shark is. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a shark puss. It's just eating. It's actually not yeah. even... It's killing for sport. I mean, this is a, a point that's made... This is actually a plot point in the movie, insofar as the movie has a plot, other than Carnage. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the shark puss is killing for sport. It's it's not even killing to eat. It leaves whole body parts floating in the in the water. Um, yeah, true, true. You know? So maybe it's, yeah, not, yeah. Uh, Pete, maybe it's not pooping as much as you, uh, no. as much as you had uh, thought. And that's good news for the good people of Puerto Vallarta, so they can go swimming without running into some shark defeces. <laughs> shark to poops. Shark to poops. There it is. There's the joke. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Zap. Hey, do we want to switch gears for just a second and talk about what Mark has been uh, yeah, up to? Because I think we're running up on our time, and we want to make sure we get this in there. We're at about T minus 15 minutes. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, so... Um, over, we got a uh, an email at the editor at Overthinking It, kind of catch-all email address that we have, from a French uh, television producer. Uh, you know, hello, I'm a producer from Canal Plus. Uh, no, 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 you must say, hello, I'm a producer from Canal Plus. <laughs> Canal Plus. Um, which is a totally legit, uh, you know, outfit in France. And they, um, they do... It's a French TV movie channel. Yeah. It, oh, uh, cool. Well, yeah, and also Studio Canal is a producer of a lot of movies, uh, which I think is associated with the same kind of, you know, French media conglomerate or something like that. Anyway, so, uh, you know, this totally legit outfit wanted to interview Mark on French television about... (laughs) 
I'll Be Back, the Terminator monster ballad that he wrote uh, back around our time of covering Terminator Salvation. So, Mark, what happened when you met this uh, French television producer? And uh, what, did, what, did they, uh, what did they want to know about the Terminator <laughs> and, uh, you know, the things that you do on the website, uh, overthinking it? And, uh, you know, it is all pointless anyway. Life is shit. Have a cigarette. Merci, merci. No, first, uh, you know, I went to my ritual five-minute apoplectic rage of throwing things and kicking things over when, at the, upon the mention of Terminator Salvation. <laughs> Once I got that over with, I, so I found out, here's the backstory behind this. So this uh, French TV movie channel is airing on, on television uh, Terminator Salvation, Terminator Craptation, Terminator Abomination, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> they decided they want to show it on French television because the French enjoy terrible movies and must see them just like Americans do. Uh, so that's just happening soon. And they, they wanted to uh, do a, they put together a Terminator documentary to accompany the screening of Terminator Salvation. So obviously about in the history of the franchise itself and its effect on fans and how fans have really taken to the franchise. So presumably during their research trying to find, hey, you know, what crazy Terminator fans are there are, are out there making crazy Terminator stuff. They found I'll Be Back, the Terminator monster ballad that Blinky <laughs> and I did. And I'm really glad that they found it. And I really hope that they give a proper treatment in this documentary. So anyway, here's what happened is they contacted us. Talk, they contacted Blinky and I. Um, they got me to go out to Central Park in New York City because uh, overseas audiences like uh, very iconic New York City locales. They asked Except me a bunch of questions. What's iconic about it? I mean, well, I, it's iconic when seen from above, you know, and you see <laughs> cut, cut into all these high-rise apartments, this kind of patch, this rectangular patch of green. But on the ground, it, it's like trees. It's a park. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, we, we ideally were looking for a, a better spot in Central Park with the view of the, of the Manhattan skyline and that sort of thing. But we couldn't get it. But anyway, we were there. Um, you know, they got B-roll of yellow cabs because they like yellow cabs as well, too. Um, so we were, we were in Central Park. They asked Did me you questions. Did just wander about, around with this production team just kind of, you know, wa- watching what they were shooting? <laughs> no, but there was, uh, there was most of it took place sitting on a bench, a park bench. And some of it was actually me wandering around. I happened to have my guitar with me because I was going to rehearsal. Um, and so some of it was me like walking through the park, singing and playing the song and then filming me doing that, which was kind of hilarious. I really want to see how this turns out. Um, but anyway, so the questions that they actually asked me about were about um, how we came up with the idea, what I thought about Terminator, why I liked it, why I thought that Terminator had universal themes, what the, what the universal appeal of Terminator was. So I was happy to you know, supply all of those overthought thoughts that I've collected uh, over the years of talking about Terminator with all, all you guys. So, you know, I rambled on about that for a while. Uh, they filmed me watching the video and sort of reacting to it. Um, and I think that's about it, really. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll basically, I can, I'm imagining the, 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 the voice over my introduction in this documentary being like, you know, and, and there are Terminator fans all across the world. And we found one crazy Terminator fan in New York City who made this music video. And, and then they're going to show me, like, I guess, rocking out. That you had your guitar, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that wasn't originally a part of the plan, but I was on my way to go play said guitar oh, okay. with friends. Oh, um, okay, okay. Well, that sounds yeah. awesome. Are we going to get to see this if it airs? I mean, I hope so. I mean, yeah. I, I'm in contact with the with the producers and uh, and you know, hopefully, we'll get an advance cut of it. Or you know, at at the very least, like once we figure out the details of it, we will let our we will post it on the website so that our francophone francophone audience. And readership of overthinking it can can check it out and report back to us. I'm sure there's there's uh, there there um, 
Frenchmen and Frenchmen and French women who are uh, listeners and and uh, and readers of Overthinking and who can report back to us. Yeah, I mean, I think this is interesting to also tie it in with Sharktopus because one of the this is they are showing these videos to promote the fact that they're showing Terminator Salvation, right? Like mm-hmm. they're yeah. it's like a lead in. Now exactly. you don't like Terminator Salvation, like you hate Terminator Salvation. That's correct. Yeah. So so they're are they going to show? They probably were going to cut out the parts where you say that you think the movie is terrible, and are going to show the parts where you talk about how much you like regular. No, Terminator. we will not do that because we are French and we yeah. we like the intellectual debate and we like yeah. the. Uh, <laughs> You know, you know it, it was our journal, Cahier du Cinema, where uh, Truffaut and Godard, uh, before they became directors, but where they uh, formulated the auteur theory of cinema, uh, looking not just at very uh, artistic directors, but also at the commercial directors of Hollywood, like uh, the Howard Hawks or the uh, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Yeah, so about Terminator Salvation and sort of like my my what I said about it on the interview. They asked me sort of like what the reaction was um, on YouTube to the video or sort of what, you know, viewers, what people thought about the video. And I responded, well, you know, one of the most uh, commonly commented, uh, common comments on the YouTube site was better than Terminator Salvation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damning with faint praise, perhaps. But anyway, I thought you didn't that. say that, it's like this guy is like William Hung. They didn't, so. Well, there was that as well, too. Um, <laughs> that really pissed you off. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought yeah. that up. Um, that's, no, that's fine. No, there, there's haters out there. Like you say, Pete, if there, people aren't, um, aren't saying mean things about you on the Internet, then you're doing it wrong, right? Correct. That's correct. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. Um, anyway, so I did say that part about how, you know, that people thought that the movie was better than Terminator Salvation, that the video was better than Terminator Salvation, and that I thought that Terminator Salvation was crap. Um, I definitely said that as part of the interview. Whether they error or not is arranged to be seen. I wouldn't be surprised if they cut it. But so, I mean, that did not give me any opportunity to go on yet another one of my amazing Terminator Salvation rants about how <laughs> terrible it is, how abomination of abomination, and how it just completely craps on the, the, the beautiful legacy of Terminator, uh, but kind of like I'm doing right now. I did not get that opportunity to do that, but hey, I'm here on my podcast now, so I get to, no, I'm actually not going to start launching yeah. that again because it's been, we've devoted to probably a solid couple of hours or so of podcasts to, the, to this topic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it is, and it does connect with, with Shark, to connect it back to Sharktopus, yeah, during, during yes. the in-bumps and out-bumps to commercial, which right. is like the things that they do right before and right after the commercials, they had one of the hosts of one of the other sci-fi channel shows. Um, I forget what it was. I don't uh, really... Truth Hunters. Yeah, fair enough. Where they're like, oh, Sharktopus is real. No, it's not real. Um, we're not, we're going to go find Log this monster. No, it's not real. But, um, and they, they, would, they would talk about Sharktopus, and they had Ralph Garman there, and they had the director of the movie there as well. And they were all joking about how bad the movie was, like, all the time. <laughs> like, 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 like they, they started out by talking about all the other names that they could have called the Sharktopus, like the Octoshark, or like, you know, or, or the, the Shorpus, or whatever, and it didn't work out. Although there was also that funny moment in the movie where the girl was trying to guess the password to the secret Sharktopus computer system, and she tried Sharktopus, it didn't work. She tried Octoshark, and it didn't work. But then, like, and but there was also a fun one where about a third of the way in, he does like a teary retrospective of all the people who've been eaten by Sharktopus up to this point in the movie, yeah. um, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, and then Ralph Garman I gave will like. Remember you. Will you remember me? Don't, don't let your tentacles pass, pass you by. You by. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Stop so stabbing <laughs> you in the chest so you cough up blood. That was beautiful. That was really moving. <laughs> okay, so Terminator Salvation, a movie that tried to be a movie that tried to be good, but yeah. was actually bad and was just bad in its badness. Right? Sharktopus, yep. a movie that tried to be bad. Yeah, and it was, was actually, actually bad. And it was actually bad. Yeah, and it was, but actually it was fun. Bad. I enjoyed that. Yeah, but enjoyable it in its badness. Yeah. Whereas and Terminator Salvation was not very much fun. Like the, no. the scene no, 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 with no, Naked no. Arnold at the end was sort of sort of fun. Um, but like no, but like I'd say Terminator Three is more fun than Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Three is also terrible, um, right? At least relative to Terminators One and Two, um, or am I am I incorrect in that? Just a terrible, maybe you know, maybe a bit of a statement. Yeah, I guess so. I just I had much higher expectations for Terminator Three than I did for Terminator Salvation, I guess. But at any rate, like Terminator Three has a lot of moments where it's just silly, right? Where it's like, oh, like I'm going to put on these star sunglasses for like you know, talk hot- to the hand. Yeah, like hot Terminatrix gets like sucked onto the magnet, and it's like, oh man, it's like this is not really pressing drama. Um, well, that was that was that was the movie that movie trying to be silly, whereas uh, all the silly moments of Terminator Salvation were definitely un- unintentional, such as the uh, you know the leave USB cord dangling outside of uh, of hallway, which I just ducked in, and Terminator guard walks by. Hmm. hmm yeah. <laughs> here, gonna walk yeah. on by. Yep. 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 Definitely. Definitely. So yeah, so there's so, different. So Terminator Three has more in common in common with Sharktopus than yeah. Salvation. Although if they made a straight up Sharktopus style Terminator movie, I mean they've made so many of those. I, the thing is that like there's part of what made Sharktopus fun is that I don't really watch a ton of these movies, right? Like I don't. I mean I'll, I'll level with you. I don't watch a ton of these monster movies. If I'd watched a ton of these monster movies, Sharktopus probably wouldn't be that remarkable, right? Like there's a lot that happens in Sharktopus that I bet happens in these other movies too. Right, same plot, you know, same fun things with the people on the beach getting eaten by the monster. I mean, I don't really know in the genre to what degree like Sharktopus is like more or less silly than average, right? Now, I've seen a bunch of these movies. I love the movie Bats, as I've talked about, because it has that wonderful conversation where the guy's like, we took nature's ultimate killing machine and we made it better, smarter, stronger. And then like Lou Diamond Phillips is like, why did you do that? (laughs) And he goes like, we're scientists. It's what we do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So, I I mean, I like that part of the movie Bats. Um, Not the movie Baps, which is very different. But has more Oscars in the actors and actresses. That's the Black American Princesses movie with Halle Berry. Not the one about the bats, which is called Bats. But I mean, I've seen enough of these movies to sort of get a sense for the rhythm of them. Sharktopus was notable primarily because it didn't really try to be serious at all. Um, and which means that when it hits like the beginning of the third act and it tries to be serious like a little bit between the two main characters, it just totally falls flat. But like for the first hour and a half of the movie, there's like not a moment of it where it's trying to be serious. Um, and well, I mean, I guess, and I guess that's kind. I mean, sure, when the, even, yeah, exactly. Like when the um, when the uh, uh, ex Navy Seal guy's commando friend is uh, is eaten by the sharktopus. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. He um, he shouts no. He gives a pretty good no. Actually, because yeah. the you know the the shouting no, it, you know what I mean, right? No! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The do not want yeah. is um yeah. is uh is pretty good. But then he gives three big huffs <sighs> in close up, and and they're just the huffs ruin the effect of the no. It you know it was yeah. a totally decent uh uh sort yeah. of action movie no. Anyway, sorry. 
I do love the moment right after when Eric Roberts, like right after Eric Roberts has been killed by the shark octopus. Like he might still technically be alive, but he's been he's bled out and he said his last words. And he's like lying there in a pool of his own blood in the arms of his daughter. Like seconds later, the guy walks up to him and he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like like I'm really I'm really sorry for your loss that just happened when that shark monster <laughs> just ate your dad, like right in front of you right now. It just seemed like kind of insensitive to the situation <laughs> but, but, so, especially so, because the the like wasn't the point of that i'm sorry about your loss but we have work to do yeah exactly it's like i'm gonna go get the shark to push she's like i'm gonna go too <laughs> leave my dad on the so, sidewalk so going back to the, the the first part of the movie it was much more silly and more self-referential yeah. um so this may be an obvious thing to state but it seems like shark is clearly a yet another example of the increasing amount of self-awareness and self-referentiality of modern cinema is this oh yeah oh of course i mean i mean but at the same time this is this is not like a totally new phenomenon right no, i mean no definitely Brecht is a pretty has been around for a long time um and of course plays within plays are a staple of of all sorts of classical theater um but uh but yeah, I mean, like, it is definitely, like, uh, people are more comfortable with this stuff now. Like, I was actually thinking about this, again, like, on the treadmill when I was watching some 80s music videos. And I'm like, these are all pretty postmodern. Like, they're all, like, in, in line with, like, various really artsy film school thinking. And, like, the vocabulary of symbolism is very complex. And it's like, I mean, this, but this is stuff is pretty boring for me right now because it's, like, it's familiar. So, yeah, like, there is a trend where – there's a short-term trend where people are more conscious of – movie making in a Brechtian way as like we're watching a movie that is being made in front of us. So there's sort of a blip right now with stuff like Inception where it's like a little bit more in vogue. But I mean, I'd be hard pressed to say that this is really like a revolution, right? Because I'm sure that there have been times like this before when people have been talking about the same thing and it just sort of ebbs and flows. I mean, I don't know, Matt, what do you think? No, I, I, exactly. I think that you're right. The place within place, I'd cause to read for grad school this week, uh, Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy, which actually has a lot in common with Sharktopus in that it's... Ex- <laughs> In that, it's, it's in Mexico. Go on. It's, it's extremely bloody. I, I, and actually, right now, in this class about revenge tragedy that I'm taking, um, uh, we're reading Marlowe's The Jew of Malta, uh, which is like Sharktopus, except Sharktopus is a usurious Jew. So, so um, you know, it's like Sharktopus in that, you know, you come for a lot of very bloody death by all kinds of contrived circumstances. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not one but like three plays within plays in um, uh, within uh, Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy. And like it's you know, it's it's funny because we're tempted to think of these things because they're they're reasonably clever uh as things that we came up with which is which is a self-serving bias right um uh you know what i mean that is uh it you you tend to believe things that confirm your view that you're awesome yeah confirmation bias yeah Yeah. uh and they um uh and uh, but this has been going on for a uh you know this has been going on for a long 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 time in in theater theater and meta theater and uh uh, stories, uh, stories about stories. I mean, the earliest examples that I can think of are um, I- the earliest example that comes to mind off the top of my head is the Odyssey, where uh, you know uh, almost a whole book is devoted to o- Odysseus telling a false story of his life. So Odysseus relating a false Odyssey, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, trying to throw someone off the scent of who who he really is. Um, 
you know, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun except the sharktopus under the hot sun yes. of Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you think? Do you um, do you agree with disagree with us about the sharktopus? Do you have uh, anything to say about that? You can email us at podcast at overthinking at com. Call or text us at two zero three. Uh, two eight five six four zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. And uh, you know, <laughs> tell us what you think about Sharktopus, about Meta Theater, about uh, Mark Lee's appearance on French television, about your complicity in the carnage of Sharktopus, about blood splatter, spatter, L- splatter or spatter. I guess they're both. Um, they're both permissible. I, huh? I think spatter is probably better. I mean, I remember that stuff that's called spatter paint, but people often call it splatter paint. That yeah. style of painting, like fling paint, that's that's spatter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would use the word spatter in that situation. Does um is is splatter the uh, the verb form and spatter the noun form? No, I, I mean I think splatter probably refers to something different i want to look it up and but uh i think it refers to like um splashing rather than just like that specific sort of distribution of of a thin layer of fluid in in specks right um whereas a splatter is sort of like a bigger messier thing i guess well i, I could look it up maybe they're the same maybe i'm just adding unnecessary entities like occam would not want me to <laughs> a bigger um, messier thing like this podcast uh, yeah. You can find us also, uh, find the show notes and the lively comments every week, lively comments on the show notes uh, on the website. And uh, visit us uh, during the week at www.overthinking.com. God, I should stop drinking and podcasting. www.overthinkingit.com, <laughs> where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. It probably does not deserve. Oh, come on, guys. There's no such thing as a shark to...